Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, the police killing of Tyree Nichols. Reaction, analysis, historic context. Let us go straight to a clip from Tyree's mom. The doctor proceeded to tell me that my son had went into cardiac arrest and that his kidneys were failing. This doesn't sound consistent to somebody being tased or pepper sprayed. When my husband and I got to the hospital and I saw my son, he was already gone. They had beat him to a pulp. He had bruises all over him. His head was swollen like a watermelon. His neck was busting because of the swelling. They broke his neck. My son's nose looked like an S. They actually just beat the crap out of him. Oh, my goodness. Really difficult to hear the voice of Tyree's mom, Rovon Wells. Our guests today are Dr. Gerald Horn. Mick Crenshaw, who is the lead U.S. organizer for the African Hip Hop Caravan. Ashley Henderson, the first Black woman to serve as the co-executive director of the Highlander Research and Education Center and is an active participant in the movement for Black lives. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is wrapping up a two-day visit to Israel and Palestine's occupied West Bank with renewed appeals for Israeli-Palestinian calm amidst an alarming spike of violence that's killed more than 30 Palestinians and some six Israelis. Blinken met with Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas in the West Bank town of Ramallah today. So we believe it's important to take steps to de-escalate, uh, to um, stop uh, violence, uh, to um, reduce tensions, and uh, to try as well to create the foundation for more positive actions going forward. What we're, what we're seeing now for Palestinians is a shrinking horizon of hope, not an expanding one, and that too, we believe, needs to change. It comes after meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Christopher Martinez reports. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave a public welcome to the United States' top diplomat Monday at a joint news conference in Jerusalem. Your visit is uh, uh, another expression, a continual expression, of the unbreakable bond between Israel and the United States. It's one of the great alliances of modern history. The event was U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's first visit to Israel since Netanyahu returned to power as prime minister late last year, leading a new right-wing government. 
Blinken's visit comes amid a spate of escalating Israeli-Palestinian violence. Blinken called for urgent steps to calm the violence. He expressed his condolences, though he did not mention the Palestinian deaths. It's important that the government and people of Israel know America's commitment to their security remains ironclad. Prime Minister Netanyahu focused his remarks on Iran, saying it remains his policy to do all in his power to keep Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. Blinken says the Biden administration will continue working on efforts to normalize Israeli relations with Arab states. We continue to believe that the best way to achieve it is through preserving and then realizing the vision of two states. I'm Christopher Martinez. The Memphis Police Department has disciplined two more officers involved in the arrest, beating, and death of Tyrae Nichols. The department said Monday widening the circle of punishment for a killing that's already led to the murder indictment of five officers and outraged the nation with another display of police brutality. Officer Preston Hemphill, who is white, was relieved of duty shortly after Nichols' January 7th arrest. The department said though five black officers were fired and charged last week with second-degree murder and other offenses in Nichols' beating and death. Late Monday, the police department said a second officer had been relieved of duty, marking seven officers who have been disciplined for Nichols' death. Memphis Fire Department officials also announced the firing of emergency medical technicians Robert Long and Jim Michael Sandridge and Fire Lieutenant Michelle Whitaker in connection with Nichols' death for failing to provide medical care in adequate time. Catherine Carley has more. Our hearts go out to the family, but this has become a maddening deja vu of black mothers, of black parents wailing for their children and a community collectively grieving and mourning. Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts says it will take great political will to change policing in America and end the incidents of police violence, which led to the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols of Memphis. President Biden will meet with members of the Congressional Black Caucus this week to discuss what it says are much-needed national reforms to the justice system. Meanwhile, the parents of Tyree Nichols will reportedly attend President Biden's State of the Union address on February 7th. I'm Catherine Carley for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. A group of House Democrats are urging the Biden administration to suspend all U.S. security assistance to Peru. The lawmakers cite what they call a pattern of repression of anti-government protests, resulting in more than 50 civilian deaths in the country. The letter calls for a halt of all security assistance until the administration can confirm the end of the crackdown and accountability for human rights abuses. It comes as Peru's foreign minister is in Washington seeking international support for President Dina Boulartes' increasingly besieged government. Demonstrators are demanding new elections be held this year for the presidency and the Congress. The death toll from a suicide bomber at a mosque in Pakistan has climbed to 100 with at least 225 wounded. Pakistani authorities are scrambling to determine how the suicide bomber was able to unleash an explosion in a crowded mosque inside a highly secure police compound in the city of Peshawar. Who carried out the bombing was unclear, though earlier reports said the Pakistan Taliban claimed responsibility. 
French labor leaders hope to bring more than one million demonstrators into the streets again today in the latest clash of wills with the government over plans to push back France's retirement age. French President Emmanuel Macron's government says it's determined to push through his election pledge to reform France's retirement system. Labor unions and left-wing legislators are counting on protesters to turn out massively to strengthen their hand as they fight Macron's plans. A first round of strikes and protests brought out between one and two million demonstrators earlier this month. Labor unions are aiming to at least match or even better those numbers today. President Joe Biden has informed Congress he will end the two COVID-19 national emergencies on May 11th. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Today, we dig into the police killing of Tyree Nichols, 29-year-old black man died on January 10th as a result of injuries he received during a beating by Memphis, Tennessee police officers. Police claimed to have stopped him for a traffic violation and that he became aggressive and tried to reach for one of the officer's gun. However, Video footage showed that the police lied in their report. During the beating, Tyree called for his mom. At one point, he tried to escape the beating and ran towards his mother's house. The beating took place on January 7th. Tyree died three days later. He was a dad of a four-year-old boy. He was an avid photographer and loved to skateboard. He worked at FedEx. Videos of the beating that involved five black officers who at one point laid on top of Tyree all at once was released on Friday, January 27th, leading to widespread national protests and putting a national spotlight on Memphis, Tennessee, the police and the wider conversation around systemic failures, and racism in policing. National protests and vigils for Tyree have been taking place in New York, in Memphis, in Minneapolis, Massachusetts, Atlanta, um, Los Angeles, indeed, throughout California. On Friday, President Biden spoke by phone with Tyree's mom and stepfather, who were allowed a private viewing of the video showing the brutal beating of their son by Memphis police days before it was released last week. President Biden expressed his condolences for Nichols' death and commended the family's courage and strength. He also said he was outraged and deeply pained in response to videos of the beating. In a statement shortly after the videos were released, he called the images horrific. Quote, it is yet another painful reminder of the profound fear and trauma, the pain and the exhaustion that black and brown Americans experience every single day, Biden said. The parents of Tyree Nichols were invited to the upcoming State of the Union address on February the 7th. The Reverend Al Sharpton will deliver the eulogy at the funeral for Tyree. The family of George Floyd will also attend. 
Tyree's funeral is set for Wednesday, February 1st at 10.30 a.m. Central Time at Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in Memphis. The church's senior pastor, the Reverend J. Lawrence Turner, said he's anticipating the funeral service to be at capacity. According to the family attorneys, Ben Crump and Antonio Romanucci, an independent autopsy was done by forensic pathologists which determined that Tyree died of, quote, excessive bleeding caused by a severe beating. Now, before we welcome our guests, let's hear from Tyree's mom. Mom, when did you first learn about this? How did you hear? The Memphis Police Department banged on our door approximately around between 8.30 and 9 o'clock asking if I knew Tyree Nichols. And we said, yes, what's going on? He's been arrested. Arrested for what? DUI. DUI? My son don't drink like that. What do you mean DUI? Well, we had to pepper spray him and tase him. So he's being attended to by the paramedics and we'll send him to the hospital and then after that, he'll go to booking. What? They then asked me, was he on any type of drugs or anything of that nature? Because he was. they were saying that it was so difficult to put the handcuffs on him. And he had this amount of energy, superhuman energy. And what they were describing was not my son. So I was very confused. I asked if I can go to the hospital. They told me no. They left. My husband and I, we got in our car and we went to go see if we could find Ty because he wasn't answering his phone or anything. When I asked them where my son was, they said nearby. Nearby? What is nearby? I got nothing from them I think now that I'm actually putting things together I believe they were trying to cover it up when they first came to my door mm -hmm. so around 4 o'clock in the morning the doctors called from St. Francis and said Mrs. Wells do you know your son's in the hospital? And I said, yes. I was advised by the police officers. He said, why aren't you here? And I said, the police officers said that I couldn't come because he was under arrest. The doctor proceeded to tell me that my son had went into cardiac arrest and that his kidneys were failing. This doesn't sound consistent to somebody being tased or pepper sprayed. When my husband and I got to the hospital and I saw my son, he was already gone. They had beat him to a pulp. He had bruises all over him. His head was swollen like a watermelon. His neck was busting because of the swelling. They broke his neck. My son's nose looked like an S. 
they actually just beat the crap out of them. And so when I saw that, I knew my son was gone then. Even if he did live, he would have been a vegetable. So once I got to the hospital, all the police officers were basically whisked out because I heard that the TBI had taken over the investigation. And that was it. They spoke to us, asked a bunch of questions. But I knew something wasn't right. I just didn't understand why they stopped my son in the first place. You said that you thought from the initial time when they contacted you that they were trying to cover up. Why did you think that? Well, I didn't think that initially as I started getting information and information mm -hmm. was coming to me because they made it seem like the stop and the start, the start and the stop of the, was at a certain location mm -hmm. when actually they were less than 80 feet from my home. You talked about what you saw. Now, I hate to bring this up, but I just have to be honest. You know Emmett Till. Yes. It's reminiscent of that. I haven't seen the video. I'm talking about what you saw when you went to the hospital. Oh, yes. 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 That was, that was terrible. Dad, would you you agree with that? Oh, most definitely. Because I'm the one who took the picture that's you know, circulated. And I took the picture because he was in such horrific condition. Um, he shouldn't have been in that condition from pepper spray and tasting. He was never conscious. Never. No. You said, no. You said you believe if he lived, he would have been a vegetable. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All righty. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. I'd like to welcome our guest, Mike Crenshaw, who is the lead U.S. organizer for the African Hip Hop Caravan. He uses cultural activism as a means to develop international solidarity related to human rights and justice through hip hop and popular education. Mike is the Northwest Regional Director of the Hip Hop Congress. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everybody. Alrighty. We would also like to welcome Ashley Henderson. She is Afrolatian, Black Appalachian, working class woman born and raised in Southeast Tennessee. She is the first Black woman to serve as the co-executive director of the Highlander Research and Education Center and is an active participant in the movement for Black Lives. She has extensive experience with community organizing and is a former staff member of the Chicago Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee History project. And she's been involved in so many things, United Students Against Sweatshops, and much more. Ashley Henderson, thanks for joining us. Well, while we're waiting uh, for Ashley to connect, Mike, let's just start with you. I mean, we have talked with you a few times after these police killings. First off, just give us your reaction right now to this latest round of brutality, Mike Crenshaw. A degree initially of numbness because this has happened so much throughout my lifetime, so much in recent years. And, and we're seeing the figures that 2022 was the highest number for police murder on record. 
And then I was hit by waves of grief that were completely involuntary and are still coming as I reflect on what happened to Tyree Nichols and another brother who was killed in LA just days before who was tased to death. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling the grief. I'm feeling overwhelming sadness and a sense of loss and a sense of rage and uh, injustice. This should not still be happening. It shouldn't be happening at a more increased rate, especially in the wake of George Floyd. And the truth that it is happening continues to be a brutal facet of our existence in the United States. Right. Thank you for that. And uh, Mike, you know, I I feel you. I mean, the grief is just overwhelming. Ashley, your reaction. Hey, good morning. I'm here. Yes, Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's particularly challenging to answer this question after hearing not only what happened to Tyree, but to hear the impact of it on his mother. Um, it's enraging. Um, and I think for the same uh, reasons that my colleague has shared already, this is happening all too frequently. Like, I don't understand how much more cumulative Black death our community has to pay to convince not only a bewildered public, um, but also the elected officials who actually are responsible for continuing to invest millions and billions of dollars into a policing system that isn't broken. It's doing exactly what it was created to do. It is working exactly as it was designed to at the expense of Black people's lives. Um, and so I'm mad. I'm mad because we've been having the same conversation for decades now about the impact of policing on Black communities. Um, and and instead of, of, of implementing community-driven solutions, like investing in healthy, sustainable, and equitable communities for all people through moving money from policing into healthcare, into making sure people have good jobs and public education, making sure that people have access to the resources they need to live their best and thriving lives. We're still having the same tired ass conversation about whether or not black cops make black people safer. Um, and so I'm mad, Margaret. I'm, I'm very frustrated. Uh, you heard my colleague mention that that there were more police murders of black people and people in general uh, in 2022, you know, up, up over 1,100 people, that there were maybe 12 days last year where the police didn't murder someone. 12 days in the whole of 365 days where police did not kill someone. That is just not how we're supposed to be living in the 21st century. We know that it is absolutely possible to live in a community where everybody has what they need and we've learned how to share and we don't have to harm one another. And I, I just, I grieve the loss of this person, this brother, the impact of that on the city that my daddy was born in Memphis, Tennessee, the ongoing challenges that, that, that community members, grassroots organizations like decarcerate Memphis and the official BLM Memphis have been raising Folk, clergy folks like Earl Fisher have been raising, Vahisha Hassan, Gina Stewart, all these amazing people in the city of Memphis who have been fighting for literal decades in the face of police terror. And I just, I wonder for all of us and all the places that we're calling and listening in from, when enough will be enough that we actually fight for the governance to be able to do something about it. I think I'm tired of coming on these shows and talking about how sad it is and how much grief I'm in and how I feel about it and how angry I am. And I'm 
curious about when we'll go from debating about whether or not to watch these videos or uh, whether or not to, you know, be in critique of these DAs or police chiefs or or whatever, when we actually get together and we actually talk about what we're going to do about it to make sure that it doesn't happen to anybody else. Absolutely. And Mike, back to you in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles police, they killed three men in 48 hours. That was Takir Smith, Black man, Oscar Leon Sanchez, a Latino man, Keenan Anderson, who also happened to be the cousin of Patrice Cullors, who is a, a founder of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, Ashley is absolutely right. Mike, you know, for us to constantly talk, to constantly grieve, to constantly be angry. And, you know, for both you and Ashley, I mean, I'm a mom and I know for, for not only my daughter, but for my nephews, all young black men, you know, you feel like you're sitting duck going out. Uh, Mike, just... <laughs> Again, getting beyond the grief, getting beyond the anger. I mm-hmm. wonder your thoughts on some of what Ashley raised. Well, it's it's absolutely truthful. I mean, we're we're in alignment as we reflect and express our our pain and our grief, um, but also our analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, the the emotional impact of this is is only a human response to a human problem. I think if if I rise above my emotions and use intellectual analysis, I have to look at the the historical conditions that have created a class of people that are colonized inside the United States that are treated as less than human historically, that are treated as property to be exploited so that wealth can be extracted, and that the police have been the front line in maintaining those relationships between Black bodies and the power structure that exists. And as long as those conditions in that relationship exist, we're going to continue to face this. This might seem uh, like like science, science fiction conjecture. What I fear will result from this eventually is that people will settle for more technological policing in which if it's hard for us to hold human beings accountable for police brutality and terror now, then I fear what's going to happen when we have robotic police that will be financed by a system that says, well, this is how we're going to remove implicit and explicit bias from the police force is by having a machine do the policing for us. We saw recently in San Francisco that it almost passed city council. So um, I think that the future is not brighter. I think we're going to have to continue to organize in our communities for community defense and community accountability that has absolutely nothing to do with the police department. Right. Well, on that note, um, Mike and Ashley, please stay with us. We're going to take a short station break. Uh, We're going to be joined by Dr. Gerald Horn uh, to put all of this in an historic context and then continue the discussion with all of you. I'll have to say that for our station break, we are going to be um, remembering and mourning Tyree Nichols um, with the song that we all too often have to play on Sojourner Truth when these kinds of things happen. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Oh, 
a song of mourning it is from the album nafiki the name of the song is lubu it is sung in dida which is from the ivory coast and all of our sympathy and condolences of course go to all of tyree nichols family all who loved him and indeed to the entire community people around the country and around the world who are feeling the pain of his murder really <laughs> that's what it is our guests are we've had Mike Crenshaw, Ashley Henderson is with us. They both will stay with us. And what I'd like to do now is to welcome Dr. Gerald Horn, who's the Morris Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. His latest book is The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of American fascism. His other projects include a study of U.S. imperialism in Northeast Africa, principally Egypt and Ethiopia in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and a similar study concerning U.S. imperialism in Southeast Asia during the same period. Dr. Horn, thank you for joining us. I am here. Okay, good. I, Dr. Horn, uh, before we continue our discussion and have you put this in some historic context uh, for us, I'd like to go to a clip from ABC News. Ben Crump, one of the lawyers uh, for uh, Tyree Nichols' family, uh, talking about a, a bit of a difference, like swift justice, when it comes to uh, black police officers uh, being involved, but we haven't seen that swift justice when you have white police officers uh, brutalizing and killing uh, black people. Let's go to that clip now. With these five black officers, you all moved it swiftly. And as the chief said, it was important for the community that they took swift action and that justice moves swiftly against these five officers who happen to be African-American. Well, when it's white officers, we think it's also important to the community that there is swift action and that we move swiftly to justice. I mean, because let's be honest, let's think about it. This is not the first time that we saw police officers committing crime and engaging in excessive, brutal force against black people in America who were unarmed. But yet, we have never seen swift justice like this. Think about Laquan McDonald in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Attorney Ramanucci, where was that, over a year? 14 months, even though they had that video on day one. 
Think about the video of Eric Gardner in Staten Island, New York. How long it took uh, Kareem on that one. Think about all these cases. Alton Sterling, Silky in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on video. Think about Pamela Turner, Houston, Texas, killed on video. It took years for them to bring charges in her case, even though they had the video day one. Think about Ronald Green in Louisiana. I mean, had that video for day one, took over a year to bring charges against them. I mean, so many. Man, my God. Think about 14-year-old Tamir Rice on video. And why justice didn't move swiftly for any of these black people when they were killed by white police officers. So we have to make the point exceedingly clear. We now have the blueprint, America, and we won't accept less going forward in the future. We won't have black officers treated differently than white officers. We want equal justice under the law. Tyree deserved it. Tamir Rice deserved it. Ronald Green deserved it. Alton Sterling deserved it. Eric Garner deserved it. Pamela Turner deserved it. All our children. Byron Williams deserved it. I mean, he was killed for riding a bicycle while black in Las Vegas on video. And yet the investigation is still going on over a year. Well, well, Dr. Horn, uh, there's also a report of that Memphis police are now being accused of shielding a white uh, police officer. Um, you know, who it, it took them quite some time, you know, to really um, let him go when the black officers were, you know, immediate, well, re relatively immediately named and charged. And that's not to excuse uh, the brutality because the, the, the systemic racism, the systemic culture in uh, policing. And Dr. Horn, I just want to get your views on this and put this in some historic context. And also, I just want to frame this by sharing a quote from James Baldwin. He said, quote, Black policemen were another matter. We used to say, if you must call a policeman, for we hardly ever did, for God's sake, try to make sure it's a white one. A black policeman could completely demolish you. He knew far more about you than a white policeman could, and you were without defenses before this black brother in uniform, whose entire reason for breathing seemed to be his hope to offer proof that though he was black, he was not black like you. That's James Baldwin. Now, I happen to think that, you know, <laughs> you call a police officer of whatever race, you know, in a lot of situations as a person of color, you are at risk. You never know how that's going to go. But uh, Dr. Horn, uh, a historic context here, because a lot of people are confused. They're saying, well, this can't really be a ra uh, incident, a racist incident, because the officers involved that are charged were Black, Dr. Horn. Well, that's obviously fallacious, uh, as even a writer in the New York Times suggested. And as Mr. Crump indicated, if these officers had been of European ancestry, they would not have been so quick in Memphis to throw the book at them as they threw the book at the black officers. We know about the case in Minnesota of a officer of 
Somali ancestry who happened to kill accidentally, apparently, a woman of European ancestry, and they threw the book at him. So to suggest that racism is not involved is poppycock. And as your previous guests have suggested, we really need to do a deep dive into history in order to really understand the structural and deep-seated roots of what happened to Mr. Nichols. What I'm referring to is that based upon slavery, Black people were considered to be an enemy of the state because we repeatedly revolted against slavery. That's reflected in the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which is responsible in undergirding these mass shootings that have taken place in California of late, insofar as the Second Amendment was designed to have settlers be armed in militias so that they could repress Africans and loot the indigenous of their land. And what's happened is that after 1865, those militias morphed into lynch mobs, and then there was so much international pressure generated against lynching, not least by the late Ida B. Wells Barnett, who was chased out of Memphis for railing against lynching and wound up uh, overseas and in Chicago. And then that led to a retreat of lynching. And what you see is that lynch mobs are now dressed in blue. That is to say, they serve the same purpose and it's migrated, interestingly enough, from the private sector lynch mobs to the public sector. Now, when we try to raise these salient historic points, we see what happens in Florida with Governor DeSantis seeking to circumscribe the teaching of African-American studies. Uh, We see also that just as there is a split in the peace movement with regard to the conflict in Central and Eastern Europe, there's a split on the left with regard to how U.S. history uh, should be understood and taught. There's a so-called patriotic socialist and liberal movement that objects to the kind of argument that I've just put forward. But if we don't put forward that argument, we're not going to get a real understanding of how we reach this point. And without a real understanding, it's difficult to come up with remedies. But in any case, given the logjam in Congress with regard to legislation to address this issue, and given the ideological logjam on the left, I think we need to start looking at different remedies. I've noticed that a grassroots group in Brooklyn, New York, the December 12th movement has been meeting with the Cuban ambassador to the United Nations, who happens to be of African descent, Pedro Pedroso. And we need to talk about having a debate in the General Assembly based upon the principle of responsibility to protect. Supposedly, that was the principle that allowed the United States to bombard Libya, because supposedly the Tripoli regime was not protecting its citizenry. Obviously, the United States is right now incapable, apparently, of protecting its citizenry. We need to take it to the international community. And likewise, with regard to the Black Lives Matter movement in Los Angeles, they need to have a serious discussion with the consulate of the Chinese in Los Angeles about a similar debate, because obviously these domestic remedies have hit the wall. And as a result, you have the tragedy of Tyree Nichols and, of course, others to come, I'm afraid to say. And Dr. Horne, before bringing the others back into the, the discussion on this issue of the black, the officers who have now been charged, um, five of them uh, black, and then the um, other firings that, that happened, um, there was a woman, a captain, I think, with the fire department who stayed in the, in the truck uh, and didn't even bother to get out. And she now has been 
uh, laid off. But uh, Dr. Horn, you know, we're hearing increasingly from um, the young black folks that skin folk doesn't, uh, you know, mean kin folk. And for those of us like myself from black majority countries, we have known that because somebody is the same race as us doesn't necessarily mean that they are on our side and they're not going to brutalize us. I mean, we only have to look at what's going on in Haiti. We only have to look at what was happening on the continent um, during the, the uh, slave days where some of our folks were involved themselves in the slave trade in terms of, you know, making deals and selling us uh, to the Europeans and also uh, the slave rebellions uh, and what, you know, often betrayed, right? So Dr. Horn, just put that in some context here because we have always had to deal with this kind of thing, Dr. Horn. Well, it's just indicative of the kind of logjam I was just referring to. And we need to break the logjam. I recall what happened during the anti-apartheid movement when we had a similar logjam. Reagan was vetoing uh, legislation to sanction South Africa, uh, South African apartheid. And so what happened is there was an escalation on our side in terms of mass protests at South African consulates and uh, legations all across the country. I think that we need to once again think outside the box in that way by trying to take this to the international community to demand sanctions against the United States, to demand peacekeeping forces internationally uh, be dispatched possibly uh, because obviously the police are not there to protect our lives. And if you look at the New York Times this morning, there's a rather poignant vignette about how uh, Mr. Nichols is being instructed and commanded to engage in actions that he was unable to comply with. He was said, show your hands, and they were holding his hands. And what that reminded me of is that that illustrates, in a metaphorical sense, the dilemma that Black people have in the United States of America. We're asked to pledge allegiance to a white supremacist country and state and so-called republic masquerading as a so-called liberal democracy, but to do so basically means our ultimate extinction and death uh, that is uh, unsustainable. That is unacceptable. We need to look for different strategies and remedies. Right. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we are discussing uh, the police killing of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. Our guests are Dr. Gerald Horn, uh, Ashley Henderson, and Mike Crenshaw. And uh, Mike Let's go to you because you do international work as well. And, the you know, the point of people being confused and saying, well, this doesn't have to do with race because the officers are black. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we looking at the history of slave rebellions, the, the one in 1811 in, in New Orleans, there are a number of others that were betrayed basically by other enslaved people. And also the analysis of Malcolm X, where he talked about the house Negro and the field Negro, you know, as a way of making that distinction. And I, I wonder if you would want to comment on that. I'm, I'm also reminded uh, even as we are suffering the, the brutality and uh, that uh, Dr. Horn and you all have described, you know, think of what's going on in Palestine right now exactly. with Palestinians. Think of what's exactly. going on in Haiti right now. You know what I mean? Exactly. Think of what's going on in Peru uh, right now and all of, of, of what that's bringing out. Mike Crenshaw, your thoughts. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah, I, I um, applaud an internationalist 
perspective, it's reminiscent of social justice movements uh, for human rights and liberation that have happened in the past where we as global people of the global majority in anti-colonial movements started to see the intersections between all of our struggles. And the same is true uh, today. It has not changed very much. In fact, it's gotten more intense as the repression has increased. So there is a racial component. Obviously, white supremacy is the dominant system operating, but it intersects with capitalism as a dominant economic system that is operating. And under capitalism, we have a class hierarchy in which the most powerful and wealthy dictate the laws. The corporations own the politicians. The politicians and the corporations are motivated by profit. The masses of people are subject to exploitation for profit. So within that system, we will have people who identify with the ruling elite, who want to be wealthy, who want to serve wealth, power, consolidation of resources. And in that regard, somebody can have the same skin color, they can have the same demographic identity orientation that you have in terms of what you look like and what's, what the biology dictates about your body. However, their interests might be aligned with capitalism, with the ruling class, and they will work against your interests. So it creates this siphon in which the masses of people are often disenfranchised, marginalized, and oppressed. And individuals and small groups of individuals that are in the minority rise to power on the backs of their fellow countrymen. And that we see that throughout Africa. We see that in the global South and all these countries that have fought anti-colonial struggles. And yet and still people are betrayed by people who look like them, but who represent the interests of wealth and those who are aligned with wealth and consolidation of wealth. So it's it sounds more complex when we really break it down, but we have to be able to make these intersections when we analyze what's happening in our cities and in our communities. Right, thank you, Mike. And Ashley uh, Henderson, I mean, taking everything that has been uh, said thus far, we know living in the United States that there's very, very little that isn't viewed um, not, you know, with the lens of race. I mean, I can't think of anything uh, really. And then there are those, there are some on the left who make the case that, well, the main problem that we're facing is one of economics, is, is one of class. There are others on the left who say, well, you know, race is primacy. There are others who say it's all interrelated. And there seems to be a kind of a denial also uh, by some sectors um, when one does want to bring out the issues of, of race in relation to policing, but economics and a whole set of, you know, just what we're facing uh, day in and day out. And Ashley, I wondered your thoughts on that. And also one other thing, I know that, you know, when I'm coming through immigration, uh, you know, I've traveled abroad and I'm coming through immigration, you know, and you get, even though you've done nothing wrong, it's like when you see a police officer and you get, you know, a bit nervous. And sometimes if I see if, if it's a woman there or if it's a black person, 
I get a little worried thinking, oh my God, they may just give me a hard time just because they have to prove that they're just like the others. You know what I mean? It really is complicated in that way. Ashley, uh, so just give us your final thoughts on all of this. No, totally. I mean, I, I feel like the murder of Tyree has also created the land of 10,000 distractions. Um, there's no question um, that that these officers being let go so swiftly was was absolutely uh, connected to a conversation that needed to be had about race and what it means to recruit black police officers and blah, blah, blah. But it feels very reminiscent to the days where we were telling people uh, the movement for black lives was telling people all over this country and nationally and internationally that body cams wouldn't work that it wouldn't keep black people safe. And folks were like, no, then we'll be able to see the videos and the videos will make everything okay because we'll be able to hold the cops accountable. And we've seen that not work. Um, And then when we said that just hiring more black officers and training, uh, doing more implicit biased uh, trainings and, and politically educating the cops about what it means to be policing in black communities, that that would save everyone. And then we saw more people murdered in 2022 by police officers than any other year in the United States. So, you know, if we don't count the fact that, you know, lynching was legal ways of, of, of murdering black people by law enforcement. So I, I just, I, I want us to focus. I want us to focus I want us to recognize that there is no reforming policing, right? And that what we're hearing people demand of us is that we continue to have nonviolent responses to violence in our communities that's perpetuated by cops, regardless of their race, and that they get to do so because there are laws on the books that allow them to kill us if they feel scared, right? My big brother, Pastor Earl Fisher, uh, that's based in Memphis at Abyssinia uh, Baptist Church, often says if two is a company and three is a crowd, then five is a system and a structure that we have to challenge. Right. The question to me is it is it race or class? It's both. We've known that for several decades. And anybody that is doing either or uh, just honestly doesn't have good strategy or concrete assessment of concrete conditions. We could go down that rabbit hole, but we don't even have to go as far back to prove it as slavery. I mean, Dr. Horn just literally gave us a, 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 a semester's worth of crash course and how we ended up getting here. But we have even more recent examples, like the consent decree in Memphis, right, where in 2018, a federal judge in Memphis ruled that the city's police department was in violation of a decades-old federal consent decree that prohibited local law enforcement from gathering political intelligence. But the very same people who have been fighting to end police brutality so people like Tyree didn't get murdered by police officers have been surveilled and terrorized and, and, and abused by the city and the police force. So this isn't a new occurrence. What happened to Tyree has happened to a thousand other black people, black men, black women, queer and trans people, young people, elders, folks with mental health crises. All of these things have been happening in Memphis for a very, very, very long time. And the question continues to be, who will you believe? Will you believe a chief of police who is in, who's very career requires her to be invested in figuring out how to convince us that this this system is 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 reformable are we going to trust a da whose job is dependent on this system continuing to exist are we going to trust the 
thousands of grassroots people in, in the community members and the families of these people who have been terrorized by the police who have said that there are actually other demands that if we implemented would see positive material change to the conditions of people in the city of Memphis, right? Well, we listen to BLM Memphis and decarcerate Memphis when they say we need to pass data transparency ordinances. We need to, we need to stop the use of pretextual traffic stops, which was the reason they pulled Tyree over in the first place, that we need to stop the use of unmarked cars and plainclothes officers so that we can actually know who's policing our neighborhoods, right? We've already seen the victory of dissolving the Scorpion unit, but that's not the only one. The OCU, the MGU, the, the, any use of the LEO task force needs to stop and Frankly, before they destroy all the evidence, we need to see all the documentation from the Scorpion unit be made transparent and open to the public because it was funded by taxpayer dollars. Why wouldn't we be able to see what the work of that unit was and who they were targeting? And last but certainly not least, we need to remove police from traffic enforcement entirely. Why are we sending people with guns to go after people who just haven't paid a ticket, who have a broken taillight? You don't need a gun to fix that. So what does it look like for us to disinvest from a system that we know is only killing our people and killing more and more of our people every year and invest those dollars into community-led solutions that actually fix the things that would cause harm in the first place? I'd much rather have a conversation about that than to continue to be distracted uh, by fake fights around whether or not we're safer or not with Black cops. That is clearly, there's evidence that clearly proves that that is not true. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, 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 10,000 distractions, Ashley Henderson. Absolutely uh, the case. Uh, and all of us, of course, Emmett Till's name was mentioned. And you look at the photo, really disturbing, of uh, Tyree Nichols. One thinks of, of Emmett Till. And I have to say that I also remember um, uh, Tyree Carroll, who wasn't killed in, in Philadelphia, but he was beat very, very badly by 20 police officers. Why? Because he was riding his bicycle, they claim, the wrong way on a street where his grandmother lived. And like um, Tyree, he called out for his grandmother when they were beating him. And those officers in Philadelphia, they were never brought to account. They are all still out on the street. So um, Mike um, and Ashley, uh, Dr. Horn, thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your work. This We're going to have to continue this discussion because we didn't get to half of what we needed to dig into. Appreciate all of you for joining us today, but got to go because we are out of time. Thank you so very thank much. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. Alrighty. Okay. Um, today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank all of our guests. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our engineer, Gary Baca. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Stay tuned for more uh, programming on your local uh, station. And we always want to welcome all of of the Pacifica flagship and affiliate stations uh, that carry uh, Sojourner Truth. Thank you for listening. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Y'all, please remember to stay well and safe.